Welcome uh, to another episode of first season finale. It's been a week since we last recorded when we did uh, Murder, She Wrote, and Airwolf. Hope you enjoyed those episodes. MacGyver. Oh, sorry, MacGyver. What did I say? Airwolf. Airwolf. They're very similar. Airwolf's one of our more popular episodes on SoundCloud. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, it is a nice weekend in in Brooklyn. Um, It's sunny and the temperatures have climbed to the 40s, so a very pleasant day um, after... A long week where a lot of us got sick. I'm a little sick. Uh, Erica, you're a little sick? Yeah, I was pretty sick for two weeks. The whole nose and throat thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're surviving and, you know, knowing how much worse winter is going to be, we can't we can't get too bogged down right now. Mm-hmm. I did get a tree. Oh, yes, oh, you did. Oh, nice. So. Good, 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 good. Did you get a family and a boyfriend and all that? No, thing? I just got the tree. <laughs> how big? Uh, it's actually like four branches. Oh, perfect. I saw that on Instagram, mm-hmm. yeah. Yes, uh, what are you guys calling your apartment? It's the Tiger Bird Mansion. Okay. That cool. sounds like a real thing. It is a real thing. I live there. <laughs> <laughs> Programming note, the whining you're going to hear is the dog in the other room. Um, I am not a terrible dog owner. That My dog is just super whiny. Um not, not much we can do about that. That could be a debate. That could be a debate. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Some people that know me well may say that I'm a terrible dog owner. But you, the listener, don't. So, yeah. I did walk the dog three times yesterday. Wow. Three times. 7 a.m. Let me tell you the times. 7 a.m. 7 p.m. 12.30 a.m. That's some, that's some real walking. That's some walking. Yeah. Me and Emily split it, so I do the walking at night, and she does the walking in the morning. Yeah. Which I prefer. Yeah. She does the morning? Yeah. She heads out earlier? No, I head out earlier, but... Oh, so you gotta go. You well, Biscuits is like a dog that loves to sleep. Mm-hmm. Like, like other dogs are like, it's seven, get up, get me outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, this dog. This dog will sleep until 11. Oh, that's so nice. Shit. That's so nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this she's been up since like 7 a.m., whiting her ass off upstairs. Yeah, and there it is again. So enjoy that sound, listeners. Um, and if you're interested in a dog, there's a dog in Brooklyn that needs a home. Who's staring through a glass door whining yeah, She's at us. very pretty. A lot of people think she's really great. She is very pretty. We cuddled last weekend. Mm-hmm. It was nice. Yeah. After Oh, after you left, by the way, she peed all over the floor <laughs> the back there. So, um, yeah. Listeners, if you want to adopt a dog, well-trained, well... Mostly well trained, still has some accidents here and there. Well, that's the thing. Your dog is a it's a big dog, so it has to be trained. Well, let's, let's not scare anyone. It's not a big dog. It's a oh, I mean, like a, it's not. It's not a tiny New York. It's not dog. a tiny New York dog. Yes. So like country, and if you have like a, a some acres, some acres, no. that she could be very happy. Um, we have a big apartment, but uh, she wants a lot of attention, and she doesn't get it. Uh, today's uh, a lot of other things are happening. Today's the big march. Uh, what's it called? Millions March. Millions March. And what's it about? It, it's just the protesting the police um, killings of like this year of Michael Garner, Eric Garner, Eric, Eric sorry, and then Michael Brown. Yeah, like they're yeah closely related. Yeah, events and. 
Yeah, they're going to be starting in Washington Square Park and fucking up traffic everywhere. So, <laughs> so traffic report. Traffic report. Uh, <laughs> stay out of Manhattan. Yeah. Yeah. Ain't that the truth? Uh, well, I mean, they've been, yeah. you know, like, they've been pretty peaceful and, like, I think New York has been doing it right. Yeah. I, I, I mean, and seeing the headlines from Oakland and Berkeley. I, once again, I'm proud to be in New York where yeah. people actually get things done and are able to be heard yeah, in a Oakland way. the Oakland one was a mess or the Berkeley one was a mess. Yeah, and I, it's it's hard to know where your sympathies lie in that one, whereas the New York one, it's very clear that a large, diverse you know, group have come out and spoken clearly. And not only that, I was watching New York one when the first protest happened and they shut down, I think, the access to the Midtown Tunnel, which is a big deal because mm-hmm. so much traffic goes through there. And New York one interviewed one of the drivers and he's like, yeah, it's OK. I don't mind waiting. He's like, this issue is important enough. And I was like, that's such a sane, intelligent comment that you would not expect to hear out of New Yorkers mouth if you follow the stereotypes. Mm-hmm. But he, you know, he was very uh, gracious and, and, you know, happy to wait, not happy, but willing to wait. That's other things like you have absolutely no control over either. Yeah, and that's like, true too. It, and it's once again it's like an issue that is affecting everyone, and it's very important. And yeah. So it's like yeah, they can understand. Whereas the Labor Day march, I lost my fucking shit. I got out of the what's, truck and I was like, I'm going, and like fuck you, I'm not going back to work. What's the Labor, oh, what's the Labor Day? Labor Day, a bunch of fucking asshole anarchists. Like, uh. like uh, you know, well it's like. There was a lot of groups, you know, so you have, um, you know, just workers. So you have you, um, your unions. You also had um, a lot of immigrant labor workers. And then you had this whole group of fucking asshole anarchists yeah. who, like, started zigzagging from 14th Street all the way down to uh, Houston. Yeah. And then they started walking down the middle of Canal. And that's the way we were going to the Williamsburg Bridge. And, we, and I left two guys in the truck and I went to a bar and I'm like fuck it like I'm, I'm not going back to Brooklyn we don't have anything on this truck I'm yeah. done like this is stupid yeah I've, I've seen those kids they, they hijacked when I lived in in California hijacked Occupy Oakland mm-hmm. and turned that into a shit show uh I, I bet if you're like a, an organized labor group that when they show up you're just like oh god like police please take them away take them like mm-hmm. we have we have serious business to accomplish here, <laughs> right? But it's and, like it's a double fucking edged sword yeah. when it comes to free speech. It's like everyone's got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. And then they can they can join your bandwagon. Yeah, you know, like uh, the, oh yeah, this is this is what I'm reading about the Berkeley protest. Like they're just like glamming onto things. Like they ended up going to like a <laughs> like a a speech and shutting that down just because you know why not. Um, you know, it's, there's no clarity of vision, and um, well, we're—I guess we should be a little bit more humble. I—I I have not been to any of the protests. Uh, have you guys been to any of the protests? No, I was invited to go today, but I said I had a podcast to record. <laughs> <laughs> okay, your priorities, right, lady? Uh, I have not been. Yeah. Well, we're gonna be. In, I'm gonna be in Manhattan later. I'll—I'll—I'll I'll, I'll, I'll have some. Um, I'm not a good protester. I have my sympathies with them. I I work with a lot of uh, African American students, and and we talk a lot about the issue. Um, and actually, interestingly, yesterday I, I we were just hanging out at the end of the day, Friday. It's sort of a kind of a wash by the end of the day, and 
I told him that a lot of school, uh, students had walked out on Friday, including my old, old private school where we worked at, where they organized the walkout. It's so fucking private school version of doing things. The administration actually organized, or like oh, the, the teachers organized, the, yeah, yeah, with yeah, the yeah. kids. It was so like yeah. so nonsense. <laughs> uh, I told them that, and, and but you know, they're it didn't seem to really catch their interest. I mean, they definitely care about the issue, and it strikes home for them, but. Um, they weren't into and I told them about the protest today I didn't see uh, maybe it's just also some ninth grade apathy to everything that's happening uh, but they yeah I mean maybe going a little too far but they do seem to I wish we had we need to work with them on their sense of outrage and social justice they seem a little too programmed I I, I picked up a uh... I take care of a girl while she's 11 and I uh, picked her up from school on Thursday and she's like, Erica, have you heard about Eric Garner? And I'm like, ooh, wow, lady. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it was adorable how this was the first time it came up. So they had to write a letter to uh, Obama in their class about how things need to change and she read it to me when we got home. She's like, I think I'm going to send it anyway. And it was super sweet, super superficial. Like she just was learning about Eric Garner mm-hmm. on Thursday of this week. And it was cute how she asked me. But, uh, yeah, it's a... Uh, I don't know. That's at a public school. Yeah. She's white. Yeah. Her teacher's white. I uh, don't think that... Yeah. If, if we want to go down that road, I mean, one thing that does interest me is sort of the, the privilege of white outrage about terrible things that happen in the mm-hmm. world, you know? It's a complicated issue to talk about, but I... Like... I, I don't, one reason I don't go to do protests is for a long time I, you know, wasn't a citizen of this country and going to protests, and, and I did to go to a few like about Bush and stuff, it's pretty risky, you know, you might get arrested, you may be caught with some other people that are doing some things and that could have your papers taken away and I would never, you know, yell at a cop or do all that, those things because I don't, um, not, I don't feel comfortable doing it but also it's, it's kind of a threat to me. Um, and I do appreciate, you know, rich white liberals that go out and do those things and get in people's faces about stuff. But there's a little complication there for me, a little bit about like, you know, just thinking about this little girl's case, like, you know, here, like for my students, they assume this stuff happens all the time. And I sort of remind them that like, those cases are really pretty extreme. And the general trend is that police are becoming more professional and there's more oversight. And there's definitely lots of problems that we need to focus on, but it's it's a lot better than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that they often forget, but they also don't like feel like you know they don't they're not they don't go I'm so outraged someone needs to hear me, you know, and then that kind of thing and sort of disconnection between the people truly affected by a problem and the people that actually oftentimes are the loudest voices about it and can get stuff done. They're often different people. It's, yes. I don't, yeah, it's, that's weird that, because, um, uh, like, I was looking on the Instagram and I follow some of these Mormon, like, Instagrams, because they're kind of funny. Mm-hmm. And this one girl, and she's, like, 14, but she, like, posts Mormon stuff. And she did this meme about the, I think it was, like, LeBron James or Kobe Bryant wearing the I Can't Breathe. Yeah, yeah. And then she made, like, this I was at that game, actually. huge inappropriate joke about it. And I was like... These fucking kids don't like, like I don't. I feel like they don't understand what this is about, and that they're in this side, like this 
you know, Mormons were predominantly white group, and that probably the adults in their life no, were not talking about it. And in they any didn't way. welcome African Americans for a long time. 1978. Yeah. yeah. They fucked it up. Yeah. <laughs> and you get to this point, and I like I'm reading this thing, and I just wanted to comment to this person about how like fucking insensitive and ridiculous like that comment was and like mm-hmm. how probably embarrassing that comment would be to them in 10 years mm-hmm. yeah but at the same time I'm like I I don't I, I just stopped following it because yeah. I, mm-hmm. I can't yeah. get into an argument with a 14 year old yeah about this thing yeah they wouldn't understand obviously right. if they've made a comment like that they're not going they're to they're not going to understand yeah. and they're not going to hear your reasons and, and they're probably welcome uh, you know, like a troll fight online. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And, I, and then I just did not want to get into it because it's like, yeah. the fact of the matter is a guy died who should not have died. Yeah. Let's not Yeah. fucking make fun of it. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then that's the baseline, I think, for everyone. You know, if you, I haven't watched the video, but just seeing some of the pictures and reading about it, it's, it's such a terrible situation. Uh, but I was at that game. There was a lot of things going on in that basketball game. Uh, LeBron. So the Nets played the Heat last this past Monday, and that was the the first Monday after the grand jury decision, um, which immediately led to protests, you know, in New York and other places. And um, LeBron and some Nets players came out during the warm-ups wearing the I Can't Breathe t-shirt, which has sort of become a symbol around here for um, the protest movement, because in the video, from what I understand, Eric, uh, you can pick, Eric Garner's talking to the, talking to the cop. Yeah, he says it 13 times, I can't breathe. Yeah, I've read some of the, the like, the people have made sort of like a block speech quote about a very harrowing thing, and people are grabbing onto that. Uh, but... Uh, the, you know, so this, so the game happens. Let me talk a little about the game, even though it's kind of boring, but it's important because so th- that's where the thing begins. And before that, there's huge amounts of protesters outside. There's barricades in front of Barclays Center. The police are pushing, you know, the, separating the protesters from the people going in, and it's a very complicated job to do that because it's a big open area right in front of the the train station to get in. So you come in with that. Mm-hmm. There's also a big buzz because of fucking Prince Harry or Prince William, one of those, like, you know. They're in town? Did yeah. they go? <laughs> Epitomies of white privilege right. are coming that night, which has mm-hmm. gotten a lot of people really excited. I mean, New York's, <laughs> New York's attention is diverted in so different ways, you know, and it's so big. So that's also happening. And everyone's like, when are they going to show up? And are they going to show up? Did you have good seats? We had terrible seats. Awesome. I love the, the ones that are way high up. We were, no, no, we were like the second last row. Those are the best seats. Sure, yeah. Totally. It's like a canyon. And, <laughs> and here's where it gets even more interesting. Uh, Le, uh, LeBron has been, I don't know if he talks shit about it, but you know, he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put on a show tonight. Said something to like, or like maybe the prince came to see me or something. I don't know. Uh, and for the first half, we're actually beating him and sort of kind of embarrassing him a little bit. And we don't have some of our best players. And it looks like we may even be able to hold on to him. Then, <laughs> the Prince and Princess... We are the Nets? We are the Nets, sorry. <laughs> okay. just, the team I play on. We. It's <laughs> not the Royal We, but the Brooklyn We. <laughs> the Brooklyn We. We are the Nets. Yes. So, uh, our team, the Nets, are actually beating them. And then... Um, the prince and princess show up. Um, 
And LeBron, being one of the greatest players, just sort of forces himself, like, his will onto the game. He's just, like, barreling through people, making shots that are just sort of ridiculous. And they go on this huge, like, 20-point lead. And then, oh, by the way, Jay-Z and Beyonce are at the game, too. Larry Another Dave, form of yeah. royalty. Larry well, David's no, no. not sitting between them, right? No, no. They're <laughs> on different sides of the court, actually. Yeah. Which led to, a, at, at one point, there's a timeout. And they're married. And Jay-Z, led by... Oh, wait, Be- wait, wait. Jay-Z and Beyonce are sitting together. <laughs> and yes. the, the princes... Yes, yes, are, Adam. Okay, I'm sorry. No. <laughs> I thought Jay-Z okay. and Beyonce were sitting on other sides of the court. Sorry. Go on. <laughs> I didn't know. I don't know how royalty works. Okay. Yes. Fucking this up. There's, okay, a, there's a men's section and a women's section. Right. Okay. Uh, yes, Jay-Z and Beyonce are sitting together. And this, to me, was the most interesting moment of the game. Um, at, at one point, there's a timeout, and all, all the handlers come out, and Beyonce leads Jay-Z across the court to say hi to the prince and princess. And everyone in the stadium is just like, holy moly, you know, grabbing their cameras. It's on the Jumbotron. No way. I shout that Jay-Z should make them come to his side of the court. Which gets some laughs, and I'm probably very proud of that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, that that you know, like all that all this is happening in the midst of protests still outside. Right. The I can't breathe T-shirts coming into the thing with the. I like player. they're all like laying down. Yeah. Out front of the Barclay. I don't think I don't know if they did that. They uh, they saw that they did oh, some, they, did, they that. did some of that not the whole time but they okay. there was some of that going on. It's, it's actually a very cold night. Uh, I can't imagine how hard it's been to protest. Uh, but that I mean that caused the crowd to like lose their mind. And then when that was over, like <laughs> almost everyone left. It was like you know one like ten minutes to go in the game it was clearly over, and everyone just started leaving. But um, I felt like that was a very Brooklyn New York moment. Um, and oh, and then this sort of little side note: uh, they were there because um, NBA is working against animal uh, poaching, which is something that the royals of England are very uh, care a lot about Prince Charles and these two. So the NBA, and it's kind of cool because there's a lot of uh, crossover players like Yaming and all that, and that's a lot of where the poaching products end up going. So uh, this could really have a good impact on cutting that down. Okay, long segue to that we're going to watch... Night Court. Yes. 1984, 1992? Yeah. Nine seasons. The episode we're going to watch is Some Like It Hot uh, mm-hmm. that aired on March 14th, 1984. Mm-hmm. I was three years old. Uh, I hate math. Um... <laughs> I was seven, maybe? I was not born yet. Oh, wow. When were you born? Again? <laughs> I was born May, in May of 1984. Oh, God really? damn it. So, so my mom, mom was very pregnant, pregnant yeah. while this aired. In unborn, but alive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> maybe she used it to soothe the baby, just put the baby up to the TV. Oh, Harry, thing. talk to my child. <laughs> so it's a court in Manhattan. Oh, is that is at that night? At night, <laughs> a court at night. It's funny, like growing up, I thought it was in Boston, and I think I yeah. thought it was in Boston because it was the closest big 
I hope I'm right. I think it is in New York. I, thought I think it would make sense. But I thought uh, it was in New York. Because it was I think it's closest. even in like Queens. Like not even like not even Manhattan proper. Yeah. And and the way sort of could tie it all back together is you know we've been talking a lot about the criminal justice system and one reason we're interested in the show is to see how was it portrayed in the middle of the eighties, which is when a lot of the fear of um, of crime developed. Like we're sort of still living under what happened in the 80s you know terrible spike in crime uh, a lot of people going to jail fairly unfairly uh the central park five incident in new york is you know if you haven't seen that documentary take a look it's it's terrible the fear and the crime people lived under and what it resulted in when it came to treating uh kids in that case uh but you know here's a lighthearted take on it but there's a you know i feel like it would be good for us to take a look at that and and talk about what it looked like in that era. Yeah, because I think thinking back, because like the city now, like when you look at it now, like all the neighborhoods that used to be shit mm-hmm. are now like major areas that you have to have a, a bunch of millions of dollars to buy a place. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's very different mm-hmm. from this time period. Yeah. All right, so um, well, yeah, one question yeah. that I, for real life is there a real thing as night court? Because I thought when you got arrested, you fucking That's good went into the the tombs, air quotes, and if it was like the weekend, you would be there until Monday when they fucking reopened. I think that might be true. Places that are not New York, maybe because New York, you know, there's so many people there's, and so many people right, coming in. Right. There's not enough space for all those people to wait. Yeah, you gotta adjudicate them like. I mean, you still might have to wait, but you got to keep like getting people through the system um, and getting them out if they're not going to be going to trial or whatever, right? I think that's what it is when they first bring you in, and you have to go in front of a judge to see what the charges. Oh, are. the other thing is like these are like minor, minor infractions, like prostitution, stuff like that. Like not, and I thought these were not major infractions. What what this court is dealing with. Um, I don't know, but I think that everything would go through the same place, right? The the infraction would isn't. S- yeah, but I would seem. But I, there's something weird that I vaguely remember about the show where it's like, well, I, th- I think a clearinghouse of things. Yeah, I think the way would. Okay, so when you when we come back, we're gonna uh, talk about this uh, first season finale episode of Night Court and. Um, Yeah, talk to you soon. Welcome back. That was the uh, theme song, the ending uh, part of that to Night Court. Episode 10, season one, the season finale, Judge Harry Stone, played by Harry Anderson, charges a Russian immigrant, Yakov Smirnov, oh, that's him, with selling <laughs> stolen merchandise, but the man threatens to set himself on fire if he's sent to jail. Uh, we got it off of iTunes, it's not on Netflix, but iTunes has them, you can buy the episodes. Um... Who wants to do a sort of a quick summary of the plot for us? I'll, I'll try a quick yeah. summary. 
So there is a heat wave in New York City, uh, and there is a pesky janitor who is making the courthouse warm to save energy costs and to not tax the system. They, do, you, do you want to say that it's... I guess we said it was set at a court. Yeah, yeah so it was at the courthouse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're on the 18th floor, and Yakov, the Russian, is brought in. They quickly determine he doesn't speak any English, so they're looking for a translator. At which point, there is some confusion because he thinks he's being sent to jail. And then Bull, the big tall guard, brothers, bailiff, bailiff, makes a like throat slashing motion to tell him to stop talking. But he takes it as I'm gonna kill you. And at that point, he grabs a can of gasoline that the janitor had brought up for the generator and douses himself and says he's going to set himself on fire. Over the course of a few hours, Judge Harry talks to him, and they come to a friendship, and no one gets killed. And side plot with the prosecutor and the uh, public defender? They get handcuffed together. The prosecutor has to use the restroom, which is broken. So there's He's a, a guy, she's a girl. Guy, girl, yeah. African-American, female, public defender, white male, prosecutor. And they... He's uptight. He doesn't want to pee in front of her. He's very uptight. Yeah. So what are are your... um, One thing I observe is uh, it's a very human, humane, um, even though it's 84 and and we just talked about how sort of fear of crime and and police... um, was amped up at this era, even though it's reflected in sort of the decayed state of New York at that point. Um, the light failures, the court sort of a mess, the janitors having to go around fixes on the things. Uh, Harry uh, represents this sort of white liberal view of immigrants and how they need um, they need a because they don't have a lot of protections, and the show reflects that the uh, public defender points to the judge that he's a very, you know, man who's afraid and maybe he's misinterpreting the signals. I was surprised to see how humane the show was uh, in, in its treatment of the immigrant criminal. Well, that's weird because I saw that as, um, well, I, this question is like, Harry was kind of like, justice must be served. You know, like... In the beginning. You mu- this person must have a fair trial. I don't care where they're from. So it's almost like this conservative notion of like justice and like everyone is treated to a fair trial. Like and like that's the thing that he cares about. Well, that's that's his. That's He's his a job. judge. Yeah. I know, but judges don't give a fuck. Have you ever been to court? They don't give a shit. <laughs> like, well, but like this judge, when they're doing is, like, a TV doing show it. about it, they do. But but it's like. But even, even like with the attorney, like his public defender, like she's like, no, this is my client. I'm staying, even though he's threatening to set himself on fire. She handcuffs herself to him because uh, she represents him. So whatever he does, she's going to be with him. Mm. And yeah. there's a lot of, um, a lot of like compassion yeah. for the immigrant, for... Like for the underdog. For the underdog, uh, there's a speech that Harry gives to him about maybe why he's here because he's looking at pictures of Yakov's family that he's working to bring them over, but he had to go into crime because his language barrier and uh, making these judgments without having any communication with him about what 
pretty much like New York is a bit of a cliche by now, but what New York uh, represents to a lot of people. Yeah, it's just surprising to see it on TV because I guess we live in a more political age. Maybe this was a consensus viewpoint at a certain point or more mainstream, but I don't see a TV show being this sort of welcoming of immigrants without quite a bit of controversy these days. The the right maybe have has politicized the issue. Um, probably at this point, there was still a consensus that that we welcome people and we may, we want to make sure that they are com- you know that they're treated well with dignity and that's in this day and age seems like a controversial topic but do you do you think it was because this is like at that at that point like the USSR USA like had been enemies and like, and like this person yeah was yes was the enemy totally because they say he's scared of going to jail and he says well jail to him is secret police and being sent to places this idea of the of the ussr as this terrible place and america's better so we we will give him a fail trial a a fair trial and we will make sure that we are not like the terrible country that he came from yeah it's a chance to both be magnanimous and you know snotty about it too uh and, you know, like I was reading Gary Steingart's uh, autobiography, which is awesome, Little Failures, and he, you know, a lot of Russians, especially Russian Jews, uh, left uh, Soviet Union because of pressure from the United States. Uh, Ronald Reagan uh, had this, which is similar to the, when this time was. Uh, the, the Soviets were starving. Their grain um, uh, had failed. Uh, multiple harvests had failed. And so the so the the Americans had said, "We'll sell you grain cheaply if you let all the Russian Jews go." And there was a huge organization to get them out, uh, to well, get to pay for their way. Why did America want the Russian Jews? Yeah, because that's a really interesting question. I think America's often felt very guilty about Jews and its failure to protect Jews in World War Two, and you know there was sort of an evangelical marriage with. Uh, sort of, you know, Jews that happened started then. So okay. for a lot of evangelicals who backed Ronald Reagan, getting the Jews out from this atheist Soviet state, felt like the right thing to do. This is a utopia. Yeah, mm-hmm. and to get them to go up to Israel and to America felt like it was part of some sort of, you know, I mean, this is just sort of me think, mm-hmm. putting words into their mouth. But uh, he talks about, Gary Tengar talks about, he comes to New York in a similar time, and the reason I bring it up is I wonder if this same sort of sympathy would be extended to a Mexican immigrant or to an African immigrant. Is it easy to uh, to extend it to because a of, white immigrant? or Because yeah. that's sort of, you know, America's views about immigration seems to change depending on who's coming who's over coming and, and what color and they are. And why and what class they are. Anyone yeah. likes them. Yeah. yeah. It's like people from Asia usually do not have a problem if they got enough money immigrating to the United States. And which they, they stay they in their own community. And which they generally do because it takes a lot of money to come from Asia. Right. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, welcome. Yeah. But, you know, you have these other people coming, people are like, no, you can't come. Why the fuck would we allow you here? And you're like, well, come on. Like, yeah. I mean, the, the the Russians also, you know, they they reflected a middle class 
background, Europe, you know, Gary. The Europeans, though. Exactly, the Europeans. They're they're educated, highly educated. Um, they. Well, uh, and also like kind of at that time, it was like if anyone could get, and like this is like my, the kid brain remembering stuff. It's like, if you could get over that Berlin Wall, or if you could get outside of the Soviet Union and get to America, like you, were, you know, like they were, kind of helping us win this cold war yeah you know, like mm-hmm. people wanted to come here yeah you didn't see that like droves of, of americans like trying to get to russia that sort of thing. yeah and you know the sort of the overall thesis that, that speech that erica talked about he things are falling apart in america and there's sort of a sense of decay you know like reagan gets elected i think because people reject sort of Jimmy Carter's we need to be more humble we need to first of all deal with our energy crisis our oil problem and a lot of Americans choose instead to have this sort of fantasy of renewed strength and all that and um, being being welcoming of immigrants is a way to do that Mm -hmm. for both sides it's about a way for the right wing to say look what a great country we are that people want to come here and for liberals to say, um, we have to treat everyone with dignity, uh, that kind of thing. And there seems to be a consensus around that, whereas now there isn't a consensus. There seems the, the right, the conservatives have sort of, in a large part, rejected welcoming people. And it's sort of the left with the sense of moral, um, you know, that the moral should extend to everyone welcoming them now. Well, also, I think uh, the glorification of the the immigrant uh, population in New York City in the 80s was a big deal. We talked about how New York was a bit of a shell of a lot of crime and stuff, but there was like movies like Ghostbusters and things that came out mm-hmm. in that time period where they're just like, welcome to New York, like this like idea of the cab driver is going to be from a different country, and it was like celebrating that as yeah. we're unique for that. While that may, like, it's a it's a romanticized version of what we still want to hold on to in New York, but may not necessarily be true. And it, I think it was started in the 70s and 80s when mm-hmm. such a flood of Im- immigrants came in again. Welcome, Welcome to America, for example, that movie, the mm-hmm. Eddie Murphy movie. Yeah, yeah and I, I wonder if it has more to do with New York versus America, because now it's almost everywhere. But back 20 years ago, the only place you really observed it, like... There's a little plot where they try to get a translator from a Russian restaurant, and the characters on the show act like it's no big deal and seem to know what to order to get the guy to come over. Yeah. You know, they say Bortz and they say a couple other things. Very sort of smart New Yorkers who know international cuisine and can order things very comfortably. I wonder if to the viewer that's supposed to be, oh, that's what is happening in New York, and the producers are like, we're going to give this New York flavor to this show by showing them oh, something the viewers will, would find a little surprising. Um, I, well, yeah. I think that's a little interesting because if I was... It's inside baseball. Yeah, if I was it. watching it in New Hampshire, you know, those would just be words. You know, like, a bo- yeah, get some borscht and get some napkins or whatever they were saying. Yeah. Even na- blitz. <laughs> it's like, I know all those things and I would order those things and eat those things. Yeah. But I, I think any, to outsiders who did not grow up in a Russian community, like they would just be like, okay, that's just something in New York. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's a New York signifier yeah. that this is a show right. set, set deeply in New York. Right. And I think even um, the 
energy crisis, the black the blackouts and brownouts that they were talking about, the maintenance guy who's there, who's hysterical. Oh, the maintenance guy might be the, the star of this episode. <laughs> he, okay, I'm just gonna say the show is awesome. Every I, like, I was laughing out loud like immediately. Yeah. The maintenance guy was one of the. This is one I of the better at. shows we've oh, reviewed. Yeah. I am watching the rest of these. We can we can see why Tina Fey is obsessed with the this janitor's show. responsibility is awesome. Is one of his quotes. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. <laughs> but like to have those issues, uh, I feel like because it's such a big city that they have to think about the energy crisis. It's a little bit more serious than if you were in another part of the country that reads about the energy crisis but isn't really being affected by lights going out or right. air conditioning's being turned off like to it's pushing everything to like the limit because it's New York where it's so hot because it's hot here in the summertime but it's hot in the building because they're on the 18th floor and the city's just sucking in that heat it's yeah. not gonna go anywhere yeah uh, thinking about Tina Fey I feel like I noticed some similarities yeah. she some... was not in this show at all <laughs> but it referenced That's me true. this wasn't we didn't record this we talked about this it was on 30 Rock They were, the whole cast came on to 30 Rock she references it it's right well, it, that that's also reminds me that the 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 wedding that was supposed to happen that didn't get to happen, which is why they're on Thirty Rock in the first place. Mm-hmm. I guess lo- not all those characters were on in the first season. No, and we can see in the poster that um, the the black female yeah, public defender gets replaced by the blonde. Black. But there's a black guy who was on the 30 yeah Rock, yeah exactly which we haven't. I I can't wait to get to the bottom of this, and I will because I like the show a lot. <laughs> I've never. St- I've maybe seen one episode of Thirty Rock. So oh, okay. I'm like saving that one in the bank for like a shitty month. Winter is coming. Yeah, yeah winter's coming. It's here. <laughs> there's a yeah. There's a few things the shows share. There's a um, uh, the the per- the perspective of the workplace, a diverse mm-hmm. workplace, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, a workplace at a New York institution, a Manhattan institution. This one's a core. That one's you know the Rockefeller Center where NBC records. Uh, multiple layers of, of sort of bureaucracy or corporate management um, which is also uh, President this the uh, the lawyer who he's so uptight he can't go to the bathroom even though he has to go to the bathroom uh, handcuffed to her because you can tell he he's a lawyer he's wearing Proper. the suit like everything he's wearing is in a different class than the rest of them when they all sit down before they start in the beginning and they're talking and drinking coffee he has a like a a different um is it elitist yeah elitist he may be the quote-unquote conservative on the show uh, on the show yeah and so then it's funny to handcuff him to that position to put him in a position where he has to go to the bathroom and hold it in too mm-hmm. like all of this is is humor mm-hmm. but it's similar and to he the has the needs yeah he, she doesn't she doesn't and yeah. like so he is basically having to ask her which is something to that, help him which yeah. is, you can see is tough for him yeah which is something that often happens on 30 Rock is yeah. Jack or is that what you point you were going to make that's so it relates a lot to that dynamic as well I, I agree with you I see a lot of Tina Fey probably was influenced by the show and, and brought that into yeah so you know here it's Harry uh, Anderson's perspective which is who was kind of the worst character in the, yeah, but the he, whole episode he's a white liberal elite, he was the most serious elite yeah. perspective on life in New York which is loves the diversity of it but is able to reflect on it from a position of strength and and cultural capital you know he's the judge he gets set the rules he can make the place welcoming or unwelcoming based mm-hmm. on how he feels 
Tina Fey's perspective on 30 Rock is similar. She's a elite white woman. Being a woman is somewhat interesting because she's in a sort of male-dominated workplace, but she's running the show. Mm-hmm. And the, the differences between the show are sort of interesting too, but in some ways they both reflect... Um, you know, the, the white perspective in New York, which is often an elite but an outsider perspective. You know, people uh, people gentrify New York, and Tina Fey sort of reflects that. You know, she's got her Cleveland background, but she comes in, and so her attitude towards the city is like, oh, what a crazy place. Oftentimes I hate it, but I still find ways to love it. Right. Kind of thing. Um, it drives me nuts, but I want to stay because this is where it's all happening. Which is pretty much what was said in this episode Yeah, well. but I, I, not having seen the whole show, I wonder well, if that's what Harry's perspective mm-hmm. is or if he's a native New Yorker. Well, the, I doubt he is a native. interesting thing, like you bring up the native New Yorker, is like the bailiff, both bailiffs are. Mm-hmm. Yes. The thick, janitor, thick, thick yes. ethnic white, uh, ethnic white ethnic accents, which Harry yeah. doesn't have. Harry has a right. standard elite white accent. So the janitor is also, well, and yeah. I, and then I would say, you know, um, the prosecutor, the defendant, or uh, the defense, public defender, and well, the lawyers Harry we don't know. Not. Yeah, and like, they're the they're the more educated of yeah. the judge and the lawyers versus the people who are clerks and work there in different jobs. Um, so they, but they're experienced, and that's maybe why they moved to New York. They're trying to experience the whole process, and 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 yeah. Um, but I even like, yeah. uh, but his, uh, I guess she would be like the secretary, the one who would the, the stenographer, the, the woman who would bring him yeah. like the next case, not the stenographer because she was always sitting in front, but like the the blonde lady who was mm-hmm. like, okay, this next case, who was super flirty and sexualized, but she also seemed like. Native, but she also cared. She was the one mm-hmm. who was looking to find an interpreter. She was the one who ordered right. from the um, the Russian. Uh, yeah, she's resourceful and caring, and cared a lot about the judge. Um, yeah, I felt like there was some flirty. What I going loved on about them. the uh, janitor was <laughs> like he he like, and, and you kind of see this when you work with anyone who like works in a building. Like they work for the building. The building is the thing. You know, yeah, and you know he's just like, oh, for fuck's sake, you got gasoline all over the floor in a yeah. way, and he's like, I, you know, it's like it doesn't matter what any human interaction is happening, it's all about the building and yeah. like him mm-hmm. and how the people who the use building. the building don't know anything about it. Yeah. Don't know anything about yeah, it. Yeah, no. One of like, the best. Don't know how it's special. One of the best jokes is he cuts off the <laughs> elevator, and uh, the young pretty. Uh, blonde woman's like but we're, we're on the 18th floor and he's like Ugh, women they just don't get saving energy <laughs> <laughs> and it's and like things like that like he's just only thinking about there's someone's about to set fire and the whole place could burn and he's thinking about how it's destroying the wax and stuff on like the that. floor That's, like he does yeah. he's like could care less about the guy with the lighter trying to kill himself so uh i also to answer your question from earlier um there is a night court it runs from 5 p.m. to 1 a.m. Uh, they see about 70 to 90 cases in that time a night. And uh, this, I read it in the New York Post, which is like what most of these people in the show probably would be reading. Like, if, like uh-huh. everything about this show seemed like they would be drinking coffee and reading the New York Post. That's like the before Before the New York Post became a right-wing paper, probably the Daily News yeah. at this point. Yeah. yeah. And uh, they had an article about how it's a tourist attraction today. A lot of people go there. 
Um, and where is it located? Downtown in Town. like the core areas. And because you have the public gallery. Yes. So because it's open from five to one, a lot of law students, a lot of people. It's in a lot of travel guides. People from Germany and Denmark go in and just watch how the fucking Europeans. And what, fucking Europeans. Um, I'm not going to go to Europe would, and go to so, one of their courts. So today, to a Russian speaker would probably be in the easily available. <laughs> yes. Why is it five to one? That, that, that's the only because like, it closes. I guess the, the regular close. court closes at five. So, it's, so this is like taken care of from five p.m. to okay. one a.m. Yeah, yeah. There, I guess there were jurors. Have you been to court? Uh, yeah, not as a defendant. As a juror. I've been to jury the duty. I have never been uh, <laughs> never been picked, but I've been like yeah. in the pool. In fact, I just got a notice that I have to go in on the seventh of January to do that again. <gasps> the day before my birthday! Exciting. Oh shit! Okay. That's a Wednesday. Okay. Um, we have something? you been in court? I went for a drinking infraction, mm-hmm. so I went to like downtown mm-hmm. in in New York. In New York, and you you know, you walk up, and they're like. Uh, it was kind of it was kind of amusing because I when it what first, time of day was it? This was like you know two in the afternoon. Okay. For me, I thought because I was walking down the street in Williamsburg drinking a beer, and it was can, in a sock. Can can we save this story for the next episode? Yeah. Because it's almost time to end. Okay. Let's and see. we're doing another criminal show, so we can come back to the story. Sorry. To oh cut you yeah. Off. No, no uh, we went a little bit over on Until the first. Until next time. Exactly. <laughs> How Stay Adam went tuned. to court. <laughs> Tease it out. Uh, so let's do final verdict so we can end, you know, in, in the 45 minutes. Um, would you renew the show for a second season? Um, and if you wanted to update the show, what would you do to, like, put it up on 2014? Uh, I would renew it, and I'd have Tina Fey write for it. Do you know how expensive she is now? <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Adam? Um, yeah, I, I really liked it. Um, but um, but I'm not a huge fan of um, sitcoms. Yeah, and this was a sitcom. Yeah, and like and for me, like I never take sitcoms that too seriously. And I'm well, why would you? But like, so for me, it's just like yes, it's it's there, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, how to update it? You can't smoke in buildings anymore. <laughs> and they were smoking in buildings. I'm glad you caught that. <laughs> That's how I would update. It. I would, yeah. I, I'm with Erica. I, I love, I love sitcoms. Actually, I don't like the. I like la- sitcoms, especially from this time too. Yeah, I don't, know. I don't like the the studio audience laughing as much, but I do really appreciate um, how they were both being realistic in showing um, what a truer version of New York than what was previously portrayed, but at the same time finding ways to be funny. So, you know, so the same reasons I like 30 Rock a lot, uh, is for that same reason you f- feel like you're getting a version of New York that maybe is authentic while having some really good laughs. Um, to update it, yeah, I would love to update it. I feel like it's, it's uh, we, haven't, we haven't done a show like that and the criminal justice system is so complicated and controversial these days. It'd be good to sort of take that on. It's become the purview of dramas entirely. But, a, a, you know, like a lighthearted court police thing. I guess Brooklyn Nine-Nine is doing it, but Brooklyn Nine-Nine is, is tame in a way that uh, Night Court isn't. Uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine doesn't even feel like it's... It's not even set in New York. It's, it's exactly. clearly, it's, like, set in L.A., but trying to be set in New York. Yeah. What? 
I yeah. Seen it. Well, Nightcore might be the same thing. They might have done it on the same soundstage. But I feel like New- Nightcore has a lot of jokes that are very New York, like we've referenced to Thirty Rock. Well, also, also that first scene in the cafeteria, like that, looks like a building in New York. You know, like it, it does. I agree. The interior Adam. of oh, yeah. mine's yes, been really good where set the design. Fuck, have you been? It right. does. All right. On that note, we'll see you next episode. We're probably going to watch Poirot and talk about the British uh, Agatha Christie take on uh, police work. All right. See you next time.